Scripture reading is from Exodus 3, chapters, uh, sorry, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Now, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Are we good to go? Oh, we are good to go. That's wonderful. It's good to be here. Uh, I always enjoy coming up here. Uh, If for no other reason I get to see people that I don't normally see and also practice my sermon before I give it in in Palos. So there's, there's two things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for an opportunity to once again be together with your people here in Hinsdale. Father, we do pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to open our ears, eyes, hearts, and minds to this ancient and true story of your redemption, of how you are seeking the redemption of all of your people, and your mercy in doing so. Father, be with us now as we look to your word for hope and encouragement, centered in the gospel, in Christ's name, amen. So Jesus says, just as he's going uh, to sit at the right hand of his fathers, he says to his disciples, 
Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded, and surely I am with you to the end of the age. If you've been a part of this church or any church for any amount of time, then you know that this call to discipleship, this call to not only become a disciple, but to make disciples is central to the mission of the church. It's what God is calling us to do, to both be formed as disciples and to participate in his mission to make disciples. And it's something that we take fairly seriously here, rightly so, at Trinity and, and at Redemption in Palos, this idea of making disciples. I know Jeff and, and the elders here and various leaders are working with Bible studies and doing discipleship, and we're doing the same. As I just mentioned, we have this discipleship program going on in Palos where we are working to try to form disciples who understand what it means to be a child of God and who God created them to be. And why is this so important? Why is discipleship so important? Because as John Piper once said, and this, you know, I listen to, lot of, I listen to lots of sermons, right, all the time. And it's hard to say that any one particular thing sticks with you, but one phrase that he said has stuck with me for probably 20 years. He said, distance and ignorance will support wonder only so long. Distance and ignorance will support wonder only so long. That that's really what is at the heart of discipleship. Is removing distance and ignorance so that we can learn about God. There's one thing just to learn about him, to just take in knowledge. But the other part of learning who God is and who we are is all about participation. It's all about joining him in mission. Not just learning things, but participating. So this morning, I want to just ask two questions on this outset. Do you have a relationship with God? Maybe you're here this morning, maybe this is the first time you've been in church in a long time, or maybe you've been coming to church for a long time, but the question still remains, do you have a relationship with God? Do you, do you know who God is and do you know who you are in Him? My second question is, for those of us who might say, yes, absolutely, I have a relationship with God. My second question is this. Is your relationship with God where you want it? Is your relationship with God where you'd like it to be? Hopefully as we pass through two chapters very quickly this morning, we'll understand that in this Moses is a lot like us. Moses begins this journey of discipleship really kind of in a wilderness of ignorance about who God is and who he is. And the way that God moves him forward, the way that God dispels his ignorance, starts with a revelation of who he is. That's, that's the part that, that, uh, that Jeff just read to us. Moses is walking along one day and he sees this off in the distance, this bush, and it's burning, but it's not doing what it's supposed to do when it burns. 
Right? It's not being consumed. And so Moses draws near to the bush and what's happening here is that God is revealing His holiness and His power. He speaks to Moses. Moses, Moses! And Moses replies, here I am. Take off your sandals for the place that you're standing is holy ground that God audibly communicates to Moses, I am God. This is a holy place. This beginning of this relationship with Moses begins with God revealing that He's holy and that He's powerful. It says an angel of the Lord, but we should understand this to mean that in a very real sense, this is God Himself directly interacting with Moses. It's what we would call an, an epiphany, basically. A theophany. That this is, this is God Himself there present in front of Moses speaking to him, saying, the place that you're standing is holy ground. Wouldn't it be great if this happened to us? That we could know that our relationship with God was centered in something like this, but it's not. But it was for Moses. And then he moves to revealing the fact that he has a covenant relationship with him. This is an important part of this revelation of God to Moses. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And this isn't just throwaway language. This is important language that God is communicating to Moses that we have a relationship. You don't know about it, but we have a relationship. I am in covenant with your, with your forefathers. I formed a covenant with Abraham. I told him to go from the place that he knew, from the place that he was secure, to a new place, and that I would make a covenant with him, and that I would bless him. And that through him, all the people of the earth would be blessed. And I gave him a sign of our covenant, the sign of circumcision. And I made a covenant with his son Isaac and with his son Jacob. A covenantal promise to rescue you, to be with you always. To redeem you. That's the promise that I made. And so Moses, what you need to know is that you and I, we have a relationship that you don't even know about. And I'm going to tell you what it is. is I'm a covenant God who has a relationship with you. And then God reveals His compassion. Look in verse 7, it says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, and I know their suffering, and I've come down that I might deliver them. God's revealed His holiness. He's revealed His covenant relationship, and now He reveals the fact that He's a God of compassion, a God who knows the sufferings of His people, and a God who's not going to stand by and just allow them to suffer forever. That he has a plan for rescuing them. A plan for delivering them. And so if you're here this morning, and again, maybe this is one of your first times in church, or maybe you've been here frequently, what I want you to hear is this, is that God knows your suffering. This is what God communicates to Moses. Here's who you need, what you need to know about me. I'm a holy and powerful God who has a covenant relationship with you. And I am compassionate. I, I see suffering and I respond to it appropriately. And as Moses is taking this all in, I'm trying to imagine what was, what was his response? What was he thinking? Like, this is, this is amazing. This is wonderful. I'm so glad I'm getting to hear this information. And then God continues to reveal his purpose. I'm going to deliver them. 
He says, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. God's communicating to Moses his purpose. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rescue my people. And Moses must have been, yes, awesome, fantastic. Thank you for telling me this is going to be amazing. And then God says, come. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And at this point, we have everything in common with Moses. Because at this point, Moses goes from, yes, yes, what? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought I heard you say you were going to send me to Pharaoh. Yeah. Um, Hold on that. At this point, Moses becomes exactly like us. Here's what God's doing. God's trying to move Moses towards being a disciple. He's, he's just revealed who he is, that he's a holy God, that he's a God of covenant relationship, that he's a God of compassion who sees suffering, that he's a God of purpose to rescue his people, and that his purpose involves Moses' participation in it. And like Moses, at this point, a lot of us want to just kind of get off the bus. Because just like Moses, our objection, our concerns, our insecurities about participating in what God is calling us to do has everything to do with our own ignorance. Our ignorance of who God is and who we are. And this begins this wonderful, wonderful interaction between Moses and God that makes us feel like, oh, I have some things in common with Moses. Moses has some things in common with me. Moses starts off with an objection. He's very insecure, right, about himself. He says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? It's a telling first question, isn't it? Who am I that I should go? And I think it's really helpful that Moses starts here because it tells us a lot about where Moses is. He starts with himself. Who who am I? Who am I that I should go to to Pharaoh and tell him to let, let your people go? Who am I that I should do that? So who is Moses? What's going on in his head at this point? Is he thinking, I'm I'm a child who survived a genocide? I'm a child who my mother gave up and I was raised in in Pharaoh's court. I'm kind of royalty and maybe that's going on in his head. Maybe what's going on in his head is I'm a murderer on the run. You're going to send a murderer who's on the run and who's been in hiding for the last 40 years to go back to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let your people go? You know what's going to happen to me if I do that? Maybe he's saying, who who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and tell him to let your people go? I'm 
just an ordinary dude. Just been out here for the last 40 or so years taking care of somebody else's sheep. It's all I am. I'm just this shepherd. It's all I've been for 40 years. I'm nothing special. Who knows what's going on in Moses' head? Probably all these various things, all these various narratives that he's telling himself, which probably aren't that different than the narratives that we tell ourselves in our heads about who we are. Some of them good, some of them bad, some of them, eh, uh. I don't know what's going on in Moses' head. What's amazing, though, is that he's just like us. He's, he's got this narrative in his head of like, who am I that I might be called to go and do something for God? And if, and if this was us in this, in this interaction with Moses instead of God, maybe we would say, oh, now Moses, let me tell you. Let me tell you who you are, man. You're an A1 player. I've been watching you. I've had my eye on you. You're like a, you're like a five-star recruit, man. You're the best. I try to, try to pump him up somehow. But that's not how God responds. God responds to all of the stuff going on in Moses' head about his own insecurities about himself, not by pumping Moses up about himself, but by saying, I will be with you. That's it. That's the simplicity of God's answer. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and tell him to let your people go? I will be with you. In the middle of all of our insecurities about ourselves and and the call to participate, to go deeper with God, whatever we're feeling about ourselves, what we need to hear is that God will be with us. These words should remind us of Jesus' call to, to go and make disciples. What does he say at the end? He says, I will be with you. This was a big call for the disciples, the call to step out in mission with God. God says, I will be with you. Effectively, here's what God's saying. Listen, Moses, you know why I chose you? I chose you because I know exactly who you are. I know exactly who you are. And I will be completely sufficient for you in this task. That's what you need to know. And now, the the good Christian in us wants to say, man, if God told me that, that would be fine. That would be all I would need to hear. And I would be off to the races with God. That's not how Moses responds. <laughs> Moses is like, okay, well, wait, 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 hold, hold on. Just one more thing. Um, if, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, they will ask me, what is his name and what should I say to them? And Moses isn't quite done objecting to what God has for him to do because God, because Moses is still insecure about God. Why does he say this? Why is this his response? Because Moses is still ignorant about who God is. And so God effectively repeats himself. He effectively goes back through everything he's already gone through at the very beginning of the burning bush. Because like Moses, we want credibility. We want credibility. We want people to to hear us and accept us and go, yes, 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 you're a credible person. In in Palos and maybe in some circles up here, we we play a game called, that I had to learn when I moved here, it's called Dutch Bingo. 
And the way Dutch bingo works is when you introduce yourself to somebody, you begin by going through the list of Vanders and Smuz that you know. And I, you know, Vander blank something or something Sma, until you lock on to something, some mutual person or thing that you know that somehow gives you credibility in their circle. Oh, you know that Vander person or you know that something Sma person. Ah, yes, we do. We have this wonderful connection. Now somehow we have credibility. Because we want credibility. Credibility for most of us is, is what we see as the key to our success. Moses is like us in that regard. And God says, you want credibility? I'll tell you who I am. I am who I am. I am who I am. That's what God's response is. I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. God reveals his identity, his name. I am who I am. This is my name forever. Say this to the people. Tell them that this is who I am. That I am a covenant God, a God who has relationship with you. That I promise to redeem you. That I promise that I'm going to do this. That I'm going to bring you out of slavery. When he says, this is my name forever, what he's saying is, I am an unchanging God and that's important. You want to know who I am? I'm a God who never changes. We want, we need to have a relationship with a God who doesn't wake up, I wall out of bed in the morning in a bad mood and decide, yeah, you know what? I decided I don't like the deal I made with you and I'm changing it today. We want, we need a God who is unchanging, who determines what our relationship with him is going to be like and his relationship with us is going to be like and it's always that way. He's always that God, the God of justice and mercy a faithful and steadfast God of love. And a God of foreknowledge. So this is, you know, we're doing two chapters at a time here. There's 15 sermons in these two chapters. And we have to kind of go quickly. But one of the things you'll notice that God says is, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by my mighty hand. He's telling them this is going to be hard. It's not just going to be the easiest thing in the world to occur. And God's telling him, look, I know how other people operate. I know how this is going to go initially for you. And this is supposed to be a comfort to Moses and to us. That we serve a God who knows how things are going to work out. He's not surprised when suffering happens. He's not surprised when we meet with resistance. He knows exactly what's going to occur. Because it's part of his providential plan that we can't understand, we don't understand, and he doesn't explain why it is that way. He just says... I know, and take comfort in that. And that he's a God of power, that he has the ability to do it. And so God has responded by revealing to Moses that he'll be with him and, and who he is. And at this point, we might say, oh, and, and if God had said that to me, then that would be sufficient. That would be all I would need then I would be off to participate in the mission of God and what he's called me to do. But 
we're dealing with Moses. And Moses is like, yeah, that's not going to be enough to convince me that I should participate in this thing you're calling me to. But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. This is his next objection. The objection of uncertainty, or as I like to call it, my normal daily life. The, you know what's going to happen here if I embark on this? It ain't going to work. Things are going to fail. Things are going to fail miserably. I am not usually a glass half full guy. I am a glass not at all full, or maybe the glass is completely full, but there's a hole drilled through the glass into the table, through the table, so that everything about the glass is awesome. It's right there and it's full and it's perfect until I touch it. And as soon as I touch it and try to move it, all the water is going to go out and it's going to be a complete wreck. So Moses is like, hey, look, you, you know what's going to happen. I'm going to go to them. I'm going to do what you say and they're not going to believe me. This is just not going to work. What then? And Moses is just like us. We, we want certainty. We want a guarantee of success that's based on us. That's, again, this is what Moses' issue is. He keeps coming back to me. They're not going to believe me. And God doesn't say, well, let me give you four more arguments. What God says is, no, here's how you're going to respond. I am going to reveal my power. I'm going to make your staff turn into a snake and back into a staff again. Watch what I can do with a leprous hand as I can restore it. I'm going to turn the Nile into blood. That God's response to Moses' uncertainty about how this is going to work is to say, I have the ability to do all things. I have the ability to do anything. I have the ability to overcome all things. I am the God who created everything. I am fully powerful. Now, some of us would say, man, it would be great if God would do that for me when I was in trouble. And sometimes, sometimes, miraculously, God does give us signs that we're like, wow, that was awesome and amazing. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes we just have to take comfort in the fact that we know that God can do it because he did it for Moses and it's recorded as history. And what we have to hold on to is the fact that in the middle of our uncertainty, what we know is that God has the ability to overcome everything because he is all-powerful. And maybe now we're saying, okay, well, if that had happened, if that had happened, that would be sufficient for me to go and engage in the mission of God. That what is what all I would need. And God keeps revealing himself more and more. No, okay, at that point of revelation of God, I would be good. But again, we're dealing with Moses. Great and mighty Moses. Who now says, you know, here's the thing. Um, I'm not very eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your sister or spoke since you have spoken to your servant i'm not very eloquent let's try that again oh my lord i am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant i am slow of speech and tongue again moses focused on himself even though every time moses has had some objection god's response has been not you but me 
Not you, but me. Moses' response is, I'm not very eloquent. God's like, again, Moses, not you, Moses, but me, God. Why does he respond this way? Because we are acutely aware of our weaknesses, aren't we? If I had you write down a list of all your inadequacies, all your feelings of not being able to measure up to some task, maybe, it's, maybe you're here and you're a parent, a brand new parent. Maybe you've been a parent for 20 years. And I would say, how secure do you feel? How able do you feel to parent? You'd write down, well, not very. I feel pretty weak and exposed in this in every area. It's, maybe it's a new promotion you've gotten at work. I, I don't know if, if I, I mean, you know, we all sit in the room, don't we? Those of us who are in, in business, in, in an important place. And if truth were be told, all of us feel like we're the person who doesn't belong in that room. Like, what am I doing here? Somebody's going to ask a question pretty soon, and pretty soon it's just going to be revealed that I'm an idiot and that I don't belong here. We all feel inadequate. We all feel like we're not up to the task. And again, if this was us having a conversation with Moses, our response might be to say, oh, no, no, Moses, it's okay. No, you're really good. You're very eloquent. You're very good. Let's just practice your line some more. We'll practice. We'll go through it three or four times. You'll be fine. God's like, you know, here's the thing. I will give you words to say, and I will say, I'll send some, I'll give you the words. I'll speak for you, is what he said. Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, deaf, seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go. I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say and speak. And we say, oh, that's all I would need. I would just need that. And then I would be off to the races to get involved with God, to learn about him. God keeps revealing himself, reveals his identity, his power, his authorship and direction and his help with us. And we say, that's it. And, but again, we're dealing with Moses. Moses is like, all right, look, so here's the deal. Um, could you just send somebody else? Could you just have anybody else do it, please? And now we're getting somewhere with Moses. I just don't really want to do it. It just seems hard and difficult. Just send somebody else. And here's where God reveals the most beautiful part about himself. It says that the anger of the Lord kindled against Moses, but you notice that God doesn't take him out. He, he meets Moses where he is. He's like, fine, I'll, I'll give you Aaron. Because God is patient and has mercy and he's creative. He, he brings people alongside of us to help us. Isn't this beautiful? The more Moses responds to God negatively, the more God keeps revealing himself. His identity, his power, his authorship, his direction, his patience, his mercy, his creativity he keeps revealing it to Moses. Because what he wants Moses to do is to participate. And so finally, kind of reluctantly, he goes. And he begins this journey. Because again, as I said at the beginning... Discipleship is not just about learning about who God is, but it's about participating with him. That's how we really come to know who God is and who we are and how we really become formed as disciples. And Moses now is just taking his first steps towards that. And as he does two very important things that are their own sermons, but not today, happen. First, God says... 
He says, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. That's what I want you to say to Pharaoh. And this is important. You spend a whole sermon, maybe two on this, is that what God tells Moses is, listen, don't forget, I need you to know, the people you're going to rescue, they're my firstborn son. My firstborn son. If you're a parent, you've ever looked down at a child before, your very first child, the amount of love, you would do anything for that child. And in this, in this age, the firstborn son was of utmost importance. All of the promises for, for your family kind of flowed through that son. You are my firstborn son. And there's a connection here to Christ, which we'll unpack later. But then this odd thing happens where all of a sudden, after all this interaction, it seems like God's ready to just take Moses completely out. It says that a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought him and sought to put him to death. And then Zipporah took flint and cut her son's foreskin and touched it to Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So God let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. So what's happening here? Effectively this. See, God has called Moses to a special thing, to be a covenant mediator, to be the person that he's going to unfold his entire plan for mediating his covenant, for keeping his covenant going. And yet, Moses has been kind of ambivalent to this covenant up to this point. His own son doesn't even have the sign of the covenant. And God's like, you know what? If you're going to play fast and loose with a covenant of, of redemption that I'm unfolding before you and before your people then my anger is white hot against you. Because Moses' job here is really not to rescue the people. Moses' job here is to point to God. Moses' job is to point to the one who will be rescued from infanticide, who will be called out of Egypt to rescue his people, who will see a leprous hand and be able to heal it who will lead his people out of slavery. Moses' job is to point people to the fact that redemption is coming, that God is the God in whom their redemption can be found, and we know that that comes in Christ. And for Moses to not pay attention to this, to not care about it, is critical in the plan of God. And so what happens? What happens as Moses begins to participate in the plan of God? Well... Sometimes, things get worse before they get better. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for this story of how you call us into discipleship by removing our ignorance of who you are and who you have made us to be. Father, we thank you for this story of Moses, this wonderful story in which we see so much of ourselves, so many insecurities, so many inadequacies, so much confusion, and yet we see you constantly revealing yourself to be a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. Help us to see this always in Christ's name. Amen. We come now to this place where we can confess our sin boldly because of Christ. Let's do that together now. Follow along in the bold. Wondrous God, who sets suns and moons above us, 
mountains and valleys beneath us, and friends and strangers among us. How often we have tried to hide from your presence, how seldom we have looked for your creating face and your fashioning hand. Wondrous God, who took it upon him, who took upon yourself flesh out of our flesh in Jesus our brother, and being found in human form, made the ultimate revelation of yourself in the face of Jesus Christ. How often we have forgotten you, and how seldom have we really loved and followed you. Wondrous God, who pours out freely the Holy Spirit, how often we have ignored your promptings, how seldom we have asked for your help or accepted your gifts. Let's confess silently. And all God's people said together, Lord, have mercy upon us. Amen. Hear the good news of the gospel. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. In Jesus Christ, the steadfast love of God is displayed. In him, your sins are forgiven. Thanks be to God.